HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, March 13th, 2019. This is the 208th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an outstanding food writer, cookbook author, and staff reporter for a major publication, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to use different mediums to create content. From print to online to video, podcasts, and social media, there are a variety of ways to share information which all naturally work together. For instance, a video series or podcast can complement a written article and help with its visibility. By engaging in various mediums, you can increase your outreach and audience, bringing more eyes and ears to your hard work. So think multi-mediums. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really excited to have my guest here with me in the studio. It is Melissa Clark. She's a food writer, cookbook author, and a staff reporter for the New York Times food section, where she writes the popular column, A Good Appetite, and appears in weekly cooking video series. Melissa has written over 35 cookbooks, including Dinner, Changing the Game, and collaborations with some of New York City's most celebrated chefs, including Danielle Ballou, David Boulay, Claudia Fleming, and former White House pastry chef Bill Yosis. Her work has received many accolades, including the James Beard Foundation and IACP Awards. And Melissa is a regular guest on the Today Show and Rachel Ray and has been a judge on Iron Chef America and much, much more. I could go on and on, but let's <laughs> chat. How are you? Welcome to the show. I am great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming out. I, I was trying to think back as to when I met you, and I, I don't know. It all sort of blends together. I know I've known you for a really long time, That's though. That's so funny. I feel like I've always known you in the food industry. You know, for as long yeah. as I've been a part of it, you've been a part of it, and you're just, a, you're like a constant fixture. It's so great. You're just, at every event, it's like, oh, there's Sherry. <laughs> That's cool. And yeah, it just seems I've known you for, yeah. for as long as I've been in the industry, for sure. Well, we've both been in it a long time. We have. So let's, let's go back to what what got you into food writing is it did you want to be a journalist when you were younger you know it's actually really funny because I wanted to be a food writer specifically not a journalist not a cook but I wanted to put the two together and I knew I wanted to do that from I guess from maybe college from the end of college now this was a long time ago this was before food writing was a thing and everyone I told that I wanted to be a food writer too they'd say well 
you mean a restaurant critic, right? Or, right. you know, they didn't understand, or, or you want to write cookbooks. They didn't understand that there was this sort of in-between where, or, or maybe not, not an in-between, but something that sort of combined my love of writing and my love of cooking. Where did you go to school? I went to Barnard. Okay. And then I went to Columbia University for an MFA. And when I was at the MFA program, I was, I went to, when I was at Barnard, I thought, well, I'm going to be a lawyer because that was just what, you know, my <laughs> parents brought me up to think, you know, right. oh, you're not going to be a doctor because you're not very good at math and science, but you could be a lawyer because you're really good at talking. So <laughs> I thought I'd do that. But, you know, it wasn't where my heart was. My heart was with food and my heart was with writing. And I always wrote, even when I was a little kid, I'd write stories. So when I was at Barnard, I thought, well, I'm going to be a writer. I decided I was definitely not going to go to law school. And I, to bide my time, I applied to the MFA program, thinking that I would maybe, you know, food writing was in the back of my head, but I didn't understand how I could make a living at it because there wasn't really a path for what I wanted to do. But I thought, well, maybe I'll write, um, maybe I'll write historical novels, you know, maybe I'll be like Antonia Frazier because <laughs> I loved history also. But as I was there, every single piece I wrote was either directly or indirectly about food. Food was my metaphor. It was the way I told my story. Uh, and I just decided that I would go with it. You know, I had MFK Fisher. She was kind of the only food writer who was doing sort of what I wanted to do, except that, you know, she'd done it a long time before. Right. Um, yeah, so it was, this, it was a really interesting time. It was right at the cusp of when food writing hit. So what was your first food writing job? So I graduated, and um, I think the, gosh, oh, the first one was before I graduated. It was while I was in grad school. A friend of a friend, you know, one of those, like, tenuous connections, like a friend of a friend who knew somebody whose cousin had a publishing company, a book packaging company, so not a publishing company. Book packagers are the intermediary, often, between an idea and the publisher. So this book packager had sold this idea to write a bread machine cookbook, and somehow they lost their author. And someone referred them to me. And I was also catering at the time. So while I was in grad school, I had my own little catering company. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I mostly just did um, Columbia University events. You know, if, if you had a dissertation party, you could hire me or you could hire the deli down the street called Mama Joy's. And I was cheaper and I was fancy because I would like put smoked trout mousse on little purple potatoes, you know. Easy decision. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so they knew that I cooked and... Um, that I was interested in writing. They said, can you write this bread machine cookbook in six weeks? Oh, wow. I'd never written a cookbook. I'd never seen a bread machine. And I just said, yeah, sure. And that was sort of, I was like, sure, I'll, I'll figure it out. And um, I wrote to the you know bread machine manufacturers, and I said, can you please send me sample, you know, um, test your models. I got four models, and I had them going 24-7. I mean, I would get up in the middle of the night. Every four hours is a cycle of a bread machine, and I would get up every four hours, you know, to, like, feed the machine because I had to test. It's like 100 recipes in six weeks, which is, if I had known what I was getting myself into, any sane person would have said, no, of course not. But because I didn't know, I said yes. And you, you obviously pulled it off. You know, I did. And that little bread machine cookbook has probably sold more than all my wow. other cookbooks. I mean, it's this mass market paperback, you know. But um, yeah, so that was the first thing I wrote. And then once I started doing it, I not only fell in love with the writing and, of course, the food and the, the, the tasting, I fell in love with the process of recipe testing and recipe developing and really getting granular on every little bit of like, how does a recipe work? Um I had cooked, I had also cooked in restaurants before. So I had some, I mean, I had a good working knowledge of food. I was a home cook. I had a catering company. I had cooked in restaurants during college. Actually, in high school, I spent a semester um, doing an, an internship at a restaurant um, oh. instead of going to school, which I don't know why they let me do it, but they did. And uh, yeah. In New York. In New York, yeah. Because I was going to ask if you were a self-taught cook. You didn't go to cooking school. I did not go okay. to cooking school. But you have... A lot of various experience working in kitchens. I worked in kitchens. Doing catering. Um, I yeah. had a catering company. And again, I really, I'm, I'm good at just figuring things out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then once I started writing about food, I the next thing I did, so after this bread machine cookbook, I did a couple of other little, like, you know, mass market cookbooks. But then my next big break was working, again, it was one of those, oh, hey, our writer dropped out. Can you just come in and fix this? And again, I didn't know what I was doing, but I said yes. And it was an amazing opportunity of a lifetime. It was writing a cookbook with Sylvia Woods. Sylvia's up in Harlem. And um, Terry Frischman, who is a 
you know, in the yeah. in the food uh-huh. industry. She's wonderful. Sure. She desperately needed somebody to do this book as soon as possible, and she thought of me, and I. I did it. And I went up to Harlem. I lived in Brooklyn. I went up to Harlem, you know, several times a week. And I interviewed Sylvia and her whole amazing family. I got their recipes. It was just this incredible experience. And what it did is it enabled me to ghost write. I learned that I could mimic someone's voice. I could get their voice in my head. And this was also part of this training for my MFA program of of creating a character. You know, and when you write a cookbook with someone else, you are you know, you're writing their words, but you're also creating their character, which is a little bit different. It's a way of putting the information together. So I, this is another thing I realized, oh, I can do this. I love this. And so I started marketing myself as co-writer. And what that enabled me to do, aside from getting to work, you know, getting to sort of flex this writerly muscle of creating character was I learned from all of these chefs like I learned how to fry chicken from Sylvia Woods I learned how to fry to sear scallops from David Boulay when I did his cookbook I learned how to braise from Danielle Ballou I got these intensive cooking tutorials from some of the best chefs in the industry by writing their books yes so that was an amazing (laughs) and they paid me (laughs) not much but you know I can't even call that grad school it's like beyond advanced personal relationship tips yeah. from the best in the industry. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it's like I look back on that and I'm like, wow, I was really lucky. Yeah. And and also going, you're, you know, the fact that you have this skill that you can uh, get to know people's voice and their character, I think that's that's very unique. I don't think everyone can do that because every cookbook, if you're ghostwriting or you're co-authoring, it's it's a different voice. It is a different voice. And it's it's some people can do it and some people have a harder time. You know, you can tell when you open a book if it's been written by the chef or written in the chef's voice or written in the co-author's voice. And it's fine. I mean, both are fine. You want the information out. And the most important thing, frankly, are that the recipes work and that the information is clear. Yes. <laughs> but it is an added bonus if you, the voice is there too. Right. And the style of recipes, I'm sure, varies from every chef as well yeah and that's the important details. yeah that's important yeah. too is that you want to keep you don't want to squish the recipe into a voice that's sort of like you know there are these neutral recipe voices like you know sort of I don't know like magazine style recipes where everything's edited the same and you want to keep some of the personality actually in the text yeah no thinking back to my various jobs I I did edit some recipes for a little bit and it was you had to follow the the format and knowing even even how to write tablespoon. Do you write it out? Do you abbreviate it? You know, all the little details. So, yeah, definitely. Um, let's take a little break, and we're going to come back, and I want to hear what led you to the New York Times. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk combined with expertise and affinage is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Sirchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Melissa Clark. She's a food writer, cookbook author, and staff reporter for the New York Times food section. So let's get into that. How did you how did you land this gig at the New York Times? So again, I feel like so much of my life is being in the right place at the right time and then just silly just saying yes, even though I don't know what's involved. It's like the secret to um, how I've gone forward. So with the New York Times, so my best friend at the time, cousin, knew somebody in Seattle, and I'm not kidding, it was all this like t- these tenuous connections. And my friend was working for 
a guy named Rick Flast, who used to be the science editor at the Times, and my friend had to go to India to see her family for a month, and she said, you want my job while I'm gone? I was like, sure. You know, not thinking anything of it. It was um, helping this guy, Rick Flast, edit a cookbook for Pierre Frenet. She's oh, like, oh, wow. you knew about food. So again, it was like, oh, yeah, you, and again, uh-huh. I was like, sure. And um, so I was editing this cookbook, and um, it was a huge lesson in how do you edit a cookbook. And it was all about, we were talking before, do you write out tablespoons? Do you, what are, what are the nitty gritty of writing recipes, you know? Um, and I learned from him how to do it. Uh, and I spent a month with him, and that was great. And then she came back, and she got her job back. And then Rick moves to Florida, and, you know, years go by. And then a few years later, he moves back to New York, and he said, hey, you know, I'm taking over as the dining section editor. Do you want to write this itty-bitty little column called The Food Chain? And this was in, I can tell you, it was 1997. This was back when people still wrote letters on paper to yeah. the New York Times and put them in an envelope and put a stamp on them. And, you know, we get these letters with questions. And my job was to go through the questions and pick, you know, one a week to answer cooking questions. You know, things like you'd go online right now and you'd be like, how do, how do you, you know, keep egg whites from deflating? How do you, you know, make right. a good meringue? That was, I think that might have been the first one I ever answered. And um, I, would, I would write out, I'd write the answer. And it would get published in this little column. And that was the first time I started writing for The Times. So 1997. And I just have been hanging on ever since. You know, at the beginning, it was, uh, there were many changes in editors. And I just kept saying yes to whatever whatever they asked of me. You know, it was all about always being available. The last minute person. The pers- the pinch hitter. And, um, and I got more and more bylines and more bylines. And, um, you know... In 2007, when Pete Wells was the editor of the section, he asked me if I could do a column. He said, I want to get into the mind of a, of a cook. You know, how do you put flavors together? And that's how my column, A Good Appetite, was born. And then I went on staff in 2012. I remember having a conversation with you at some point, I guess it was probably, I don't know, 2000, uh, probably seven-ish, I would guess, about you were you were with the New York Times, but you weren't full-time, and being like, I don't know, you know, maybe, I don't, we'll see, but I, like, very happy with, I feel you've always been happy with the roles you have, and, and you excel at them. You're, do, I keep thinking of tips as you're talking for my, for upcoming shows, you, you know, timing, and, and just being someone that figures things out. I mean, you do all this stuff, and you you're happy to do it and the fact that you've been with the times now for a long time is incredible yeah well I mean it's you know it I mean it's been great it's been up and down it's been a weird you know trajectory but I've since especially since I've gone on staff since 2012 I feel like okay you know they're gonna keep me (laughs) yeah I would keep you so when did the video series launch and was that something were you a part of that creative or the the initial start of it or idea again that was pete wells okay it was his brainchild you know they wanted to start doing videos and he thought oh well you know maybe melissa would like to do this i had not really done much tv or video work beforehand and um this was in 2011 and they sent you know one of the videographers from um from the times over to my house and we just again we had no idea what we were doing but we figured it out and it was i realized oh this is really fun i enjoyed it so much i loved I loved hamming it up in front of the camera. Most of the best stuff is cut, by the way. Um. <laughs> uh, that that we have to get our hands on. I have a, actually. I was just looking at the bloopers the other day. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I loved hamming it up in front of the camera. But really, what I loved is being able to show people how to cook because there's only so far you can go with words, and being able to really show the process I mean that's so invaluable and it's such a it's just so great for novices to be able to see it um and it helps me connect with people and that's really important to me too I get people who stop me and say I made your such and such or people email me all the time and ask questions and they feel like there's no barrier because they've seen me they they know me and I get to know them and that connection is incredible and I do feel like I'm making people better cooks you are. You're. You're great on camera. I mean, you're. And you're. You. I feel. I was looking at many of your recipes and watching some of the videos, and and it just it's it. I was like, I have to get in the kitchen. Really, I had this reaction of, and I was and and the the variety of recipes that you do, 
is incredible. You have over a thousand recipes under your name from the New York Times. So Do we really wow. Yeah, it said a one thousand sixty six was the number that Probably came up. Probably though, some of those are recipes that are not my, that I didn't develop, but I tested and published. So the way the Times bylaws this is a really interesting, kind of annoying thing for people who actually wrote the recipe, a lot of my job was reporting. So I would report on chefs and I would take their recipe, you know, adapt it for the times, but it was their recipe, but the byline goes to me. So not all of those are mine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're calling your, calling yourself out on that or the, or the times out on that, but... I, I have written a lot of recipes, though. That yeah, is true. so how do you... How do you keep coming up with recipes? What inspires you? What are the criteria for the New York Times? Do they have to be a certain uh, uh, amount of time to from start to finish? Or is, it, is health or, you know, are, are there any factors that go into what recipes you include? You know, we... <laughs> There was a column called Recipes for Health, and obviously those had to be healthy, so I don't have to worry about that. Okay. <laughs> um, I pretty much have free reign to do whatever I want. I mean, I work with a team. You know, I don't work by myself. I have my editors, and we all decide together. You know, I, so at NYT Cooking, the process is, um, you know, Sam Sifton is the editor, and Emily Weinstein is the deputy who I work with directly. And as a team, we come up with which reci- what recipes are going to work for what we need, you know, seasonally, or is there a holiday coming up, or what haven't we done in a while? And so that's one, you know, those are sort of some criteria that we look at. And then on the other side of it is, what am I excited about? You know, what haven't I made in a while? What have I cooked at home for dinner that I just know with a few tweaks could become a really exciting recipe for the times? And it's a lot of back and forth. Are you, two-part question, do you pay attention to the comments on the recipes? And have you been surprised by by certain recipes that they've done way better than or more more viewership or more people saving them in their recipe box uh, versus some you thought would be like the most popular recipe and then didn't do so well? Oh yeah, you can you know what you can never tell like with anything you never know what's going to be a hit right you just don't know you just don't know so with a recipe it's the same thing as like. You know, someone once said, well, how do you write a best-selling cookbook? I'm like, I don't know. You know, you, if you knew, I, if I knew, I would do it all the time. I mean, the, the, it's a serendipity as well as obviously having the, the solid goods. So I don't know what recipe is going to hit. And I try not to – I don't do recipes because they're going to hit. I think they're – you right. know, I, I'm not that calculating about it. I'm like, oh, what do I really want to eat? Um, sometimes I think something is going to do better than it did or I think maybe, you know, like – I. It keeps me guessing, which is actually pretty exciting. Um, so, wait, what was the, oh, the, the, the comments? Oh, the comments. Because so, I noticed oh, right. a lot of people, there's a lot of comments on recipes or advice from other people. I did this, this, you know, worked really well. This is fabulous. Well, you know, it's interesting. So at the at NYT Cooking, we don't call them comments. We call them notes. Okay. And that's a very specific word choice because we, we're, you know, we want people to engage in a discussion that helps the entire community. We want them to give us their notes. What are your notes on this recipe? What worked for you? What didn't? And in doing so, you can help other people, other cooks out there get a better experience. And the notes are fabulous. I mean, they're really, I read, I, I mean, I don't read all of them, but I read a lot of them because they're helpful to me. As a recipe developer, I can understand what works for people, what gives them problems. In terms of the individual recipe, if something is wrong, we can fix it, which is great. We just go in and fix it. Um, but also, I love to see people's ideas. I like to see how they take the recipe, my vision of the recipe, and then adapt it to their vision. Like, that's awesome. And to have that in real time, you know, over the in the recipe body and for everyone to see, I think is an amazing tool for cooks. It really is. And I'll get that. Notes. Yeah, comments. notes. I mean, I yeah. think comments, make- you know, it's like comments can be so snarky. People can, I don't know, I feel like calling them notes makes people more interested in actually helping other people, like, or, or at least putting down what their notes really are, as opposed to, oh, this doesn't look good, or I don't like, you know, yeah. whatever. I'm, I'm, I think it's brilliant. I think it's, I think it makes sense. Yeah. And, and, uh, and smart that you do that. Uh, do you, what's, what's the process or how long are you still doing the videos are they all shot in your home? Is it? Well, we're about to launch a new video series that I don't know if I can talk about. So okay, <laughs> but so but the ones that we have been doing have been shot in my house. Yeah, we shot in my house. Yeah, we did that for years, 
Uh, we had an outside video crew come in. It was a team that we put together, and it was fantastic. And um, But, you know, it was time for a change. And so we're working. We now have a new in-house video team, which is very exciting. We just hired a bunch of um, – uh, we've hired a, a video team to work in your NYT cooking. So this is great. And they're just starting up, and we're about to start something new. So, you know, stay tuned, everybody. Stay tuned. Yeah. You're a little, little uh, sneak preview exactly. of that. Exactly. What about all these cookbooks you, that you've written? Because I said over 35 because I didn't want to get the number wrong. Well, I, <laughs> I was like, that, maybe was... she's written like five books in the past two weeks. I don't know. I have, actually. No, okay. Since that, probably, <laughs> I, I'm up to 41. Exactly. But I mean, I a bunch it. of them are really short little books. They're, you know, the Bread Machine yeah. Cookbook, right. Bread Machine Cookbook 2, um, Sweetbreads of the Bread Machine. So that's like three books right there. <laughs> And then there's um, a lot of the ones I've co-authored. Um, I'm actually typing a cookbook with my toes right now as we speak. No. <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, when you're you don't you don't take breaks from the New York Times when you're doing your books. I you know you're I'm assuming you or or well, do you? Well, it was you? easier when I was freelance to be okay. honest because then yeah. I just I was doing my you know it was I mean I haven't written that many since I've been on staff. Um, but okay, so. When I was on staff, before I was on staff, it was, I could fit the cookbooks in because I would just say, I never said no to an assignment, but I'd always, I would always say yes to the times, but I might say no to something else, to someone else. Um, but now, yeah, it's really hard to fit them in. It's really hard to have a full-time job and write a cookbook. I work weekends. I work nights. Um, yeah, it's hard. I mean, I get help too. I have, I have an amazing recipe tester, um, Jade Zimmerman, who works with me. She's worked with me for the past three or four years. Um, before that, I had another amazing recipe tester, Sarah Huck, who was with me for like nine years. So, I mean, I have help. I don't do this by myself. You need you need an amazing team. Yeah, well, and, I, yeah. You, you make it happen. <laughs> it's incredible. What what advice would you give to someone who wants to do what you do now? Okay, so people ask me that a lot. And unfortunately, my path is not, my path's gone. You know, my path was like, hey, right. people wrote letters to the New York Times and I answered them in print. That's gone. Um, but the one piece of advice I would give people, the one thing that I think really helped me is saying yes and figuring it out. And knowing what you don't know is really, Im- knowing what you don't know is so much more important than thinking you know. Do you know what I mean? Like when you know that you don't know and you know you're just, sort of bullshitting it that's fine like go with that just know what you don't know and then have the courage to look it up and to ask people for help that's so important I think a lot of people think oh they think they know and they kind of go with it but they don't ask for help and they don't you know so it's it's interesting it's like this you know combination of being able to say yes you have you need the confidence to say yes but you also need the humility to be able to say okay I don't I need help I don't know what I'm doing and that's really important um Always be on time. If if you have an if you have an assignment, hand it in on time. Be nice. Be pleasant. Be the person your editor wants to call, because you know what? If they want to chat with you on the phone or they want to chat with you over email or whatever, like they're gonna call you instead of someone else. Um, what else can I tell you? And then you know, I mean, networking, networking, networking. So much of where how I got to where I am was just being in the right place at the right time. Those are. I, I'm going to go back and write all these down because you just gave gave six or seven great tips. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's for any show. career. It's for no, any it's career. True. That's the thing. It's not just for food writing. You no, know? There, it's 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 terrific advice. And yeah, you're. I I I know our, where the the career path I took, you took. It's it was a different time, and no one would be able to replicate what you how you got to where you are. But all of that that you just said is is terrific advice. And you're right, for any any career. So before we take one more break, I have a question for my last guest. Okay. Who you know. <laughs> so in episode 207, I had on Claudia Fleming. Claudia. Proprietor and pastry chef at North Fork Table and Inn at, in North Fork, Long Island, who you co-authored her book with. I did. Claudia's book was one of the best books of my life that I ever worked on. I loved working with her so much. She was exacting and a total hard ass, and I loved it. She was uncompromising and I learned so much from that woman and she's amazing I have so much love and respect for her wow I do too I loved having her on the show I felt like I just wanted to hang out with her forever absolutely (laughs) so she has a question for you we're gonna play it back now when are you coming to the north fork so we can work together again (laughs) 
<laughs> Good question. I feel like she's going to say tomorrow I'm oh, on my way. Yeah. Well, she's she's a busy, busy girl these days, boy. She's done amazingly, amazingly well. She's so talented. So talented. Um, but in all seriousness, what would I like to ask Melissa? That can be your question. This is This is not... I mean, if you want to ask another one, feel free, but I can certainly ask her your, your okay. when are you coming yeah. out question. When are you coming out, sister? Okay. I want to see you. I love that question so much. It's, you know, so it's funny because, so Claudia's book is being reissued. The book we co-authored is being reissued this October, which is incredibly exciting. And why or how or what exactly does that mean for someone who doesn't know like what what prompted that the book has been out of print for years and if you want a copy of the last course which is the book claudia you know claudia and i worked on together it's her book if you want that you have to go on ebay or whatever and buy it used for hundreds of dollars like it sells for 150 200 bucks it's amazing. And so they're finally reissuing it. But before they were going to reissue it, I was like, Claudia, let's redo it. Let's retest every recipe. Let's just because I wanted to work with her again. But then, you know, it was sort of silly because the book is pretty great. So let's just reissue that book. But I, if we could figure out a book to do together, I will come and work with you in a second. So, you know, let's just say soon. Uh-huh. Good answer. Do you have you done multiple books with with the same chef? Uh, have I? Oh, God. I should remember this. <laughs> no. My, I don't. Well, just from looking, scrolling through your list, I didn't no, think No, I don't so, think I have. But. I don't think I have. Yeah. Well, you have you have an inc- incredible resume of, of chefs you've worked with. So we'll stay tuned for what's next. Okay, we're going to take one more break. And we're going to come back. We'll play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. It's Todd Shulkin, the host of Inside Julia's Kitchen here on HRN. Inside Julia's Kitchen carries on Julia Child's legacy of introducing the brightest lights in the food world to a wider audience, just as Julia did from her home kitchen. Look for Inside Julia's Kitchen wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Melissa Clark. We're having a little pizza as we do the show <laughs> because that's what you do at Heritage Radio. It's when you're- so good. <laughs> it really is. So let's do my speed round game. I think you're going to be great at this. Uh-oh. <laughs> I get so nervous. No, it's, it's, it's fun. It's easy. I'm going to name a couple things and you pick your preference, okay. such as chocolate or vanilla. Oh, I can handle that. Okay. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. I hate tasting menus. Mm. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? All-inclusive. Co-authoring books or solo authoring? Okay, you've stumped me. That's the one I can't answer. I love them both. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a term, but I came up with it. Solo authoring. I like it. Um, um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. You've done both. You I've do done both. both. I don't think I can choose. Okay, okay, see, that's where I can't choose. Okay, you've you've been you've been flying I've been through good. these. I've though. been I've been very decisive up until now. Okay, another. Well, we'll see. How's uh, filming taped videos or doing live TV? Filming taped videos. Okay, you know, clear on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the, because then you get you have room to like you know right play around, and they cut it. 
and then you're sad. You're like, oh, but that was the best part. I really want to see the blooper I, I will, video. I will send it to you. It's very funny. I'm sure. <laughs> it's a little bit, you know, risque. Stuff the Times would not put on there. <laughs> I might have, I might have, I might have cursed a little bit. <laughs> I definitely wanted to see this. Okay, two more: cheese plate or dessert? Oh, <sighs> I'm gonna start to sweat now. Oh, another. Why tough can't one? I have both? Why you, can't I have you both? Can I, can't, have both. I want both. I want my. I want actually. You know what? This I'm gonna say something which is not intuitive. I want to have my dessert, and then I want to be British about it and have my cheese after. Okay. Yeah, with my port. There you have it. I think that was a first. I love firsts on this show. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing combination. You know what you want. I do, sometimes. In this case, I do. I don't know about the co-authoring things versus solo cooking. Okay, we're not, otherwise, we're pass on that one. The last one's Manhattan or Brooklyn. Oh, well, Brooklyn. I'm a Brooklyn girl. I was born there. Mm-hmm. I was brought up there. I came back after years. Yeah, yeah. and we're in Brooklyn. Yeah. So. But I was, in terms of cocktails, yeah. actually, I'd rather drink a Manhattan than a Brooklyn. I love it. There are, several people have, especially the cocktail people I've had on, they always think I'm asking about the drinks. <laughs> I'm not. When but, you said Manhattan, the yeah. first thing that came into my mind was a cocktail right, right. glass. I was like, ooh, Manhattan, I would like one of those right now. It makes now. sense with the, the theme of all the other exactly. other ones. So I like, I like that you thought of that too. <laughs> That's the game. <laughs> I love it. So let's talk a little industry news. There was an article in the New York Times that you know, I opened the New York Times section uh, online and it was the photo of this article that just, I was like, I just got my attention. The article is entitled, For Larger Customers, Eating Out is Still a Daunting Experience. This was by Kim Severson, who came on my show recently and I feel I always talk about her articles because she's... Because her stuff's amazing. She really she really is. And this this was just... So the photo was, was of a larger woman sitting at a bar uh, the, from behind facing in and showing that the stool was just too small for her and something that I realized from reading this article and even the comments, we don't talk about this in the industry, how restaurants are really not designed for larger people. And I was I was really happy that the that she wrote this article and people can start having this conversation because I think it's important for restaurants to be all inclusive for people to come and feel welcome. And I, I mean, as a petite person, I don't, I, I mean, my issue sometimes is just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm too short at the table or I, I, you know, it's, it's a different experience. Don't but you hate those tall stools? I hate those tall stools. It's, it's hard to get up there. Yeah. As long as there's a footrest, I'm good. Right. But sometimes there's not. Yeah. No, I know. I, I feel that I'm with you on that. But yes. So this article, this was a really important article. It's true. Yeah. Nobody's actually called this out before. I know. And then, like, how? How is that possible? <laughs> because people don't want to talk about it. I think that um, there's a lot of fat shaming going on in society that that article just, Kim was just like, you know what? The quotes she got were so good. It was, who was the woman that they ended with? Like, I just want to live my life. And I forget what her name was, but yeah. her quote was something like, I want to be able to go out and I am the size I am and I want to enjoy my life. And I don't want anyone to, to judge me or to, you know. Like, why can't I just do that? And that's exactly right. Of course, why can't she can't do it? Because, I mean, a lot of it is, um, I think it is we have this block that, you know, that we're creating. People are so power, profit driven. I think, you know, especially uh, Kim talked a lot about chain restaurants. And, you know, when, when space is tight, you want to cram as many tables in as possible. Or like the airlines, you want to cram as many airline seats in as possible. And then people who are larger have to buy two seats. So economically, you know, they're screwed and, you know, the airlines are making the profits. So I think this translates for restaurants too. And I think that stepping back, and I think um, Danny Meyer had a good quote, too, of course, as he always does. Yeah, was, he did. He did. He's like, you know, it's up to the, the host who greets you to, to make that decision. And there should always be a place that people are comfortable. And this is absolutely true. Yeah, I'm, I'm as I said, I'm so glad this article was written. And it talked to, also, I didn't know there was a, a mobile app, a crowdsourced mobile app called All Go that they were describing a bit as, as a Yelp I think for they're plus testing size people. It, right? Yeah, they're testing it right now. Yeah, as a way, you know, a community can can share information with, with one another. Or, I mean, it, it's very similarly, you know, do you know that app Soundprint, I think it's called, where it's the Is that noise, the one that the, the, the volume? Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, you know, um, 
my father was hard of hearing. And to, to find a restaurant where he could go was really challenging. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like, I mean, it's not the same kind of thing, but it's, it's in the same vein of there are these apps out there to help people find the space they're going to be comfortable in. And I think that's so amazing and so important. Yeah, I do too. I think New York City in particular is always, it's known for, for putting tables very close together and getting as many seats as you possibly can. And even I find walking through a dining room sometimes there's just isn't even enough space to get through. So I, you know, I think awareness of this and bringing it to everyone's attention is, 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 as you said, it's important. So Good job, Kim. Yeah, go Kim. She always has the best articles. <laughs> she really does. But you know, you you have amazing articles too. On the side, I re- I noted you wrote an article about uh, mocha notes. Yeah. In Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was in Paris in when was I there? Over around Thanksgiving time, but in, in November and. I had heard of it from an industry friend, and I went there, and then I saw your piece, and all of a sudden this place, I'm like, everyone's talking about it, but your your piece was great. Well, I love that place. I mean, yeah. it was just, it's like my ideal, it's one of my ideal places. You know, the food is amazing. It's really low-key. Um, it's casual, but comfortable and welcoming. The wine list is really good. It's just all the things I want. Yeah, great desserts and lots of them. <laughs> the thing that was that struck me when when someone recommended it to me was the name. I was like, "This is in Paris." It didn't. It didn't have. It does not have a traditional Paris type name. Exactly, and it's not a traditional <laughs> Paris type restaurant. Right. I mean, they're so great. They're just doing their mm-hmm. own thing there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was glad I went and and that you wrote about it. Okay, the other article I had was on Grub Street, entitled. All New York City public schools will adopt meatless Mondays, and this was by Nikita Richardson. And you know, meatless Monday is taken off, and I think it's cool that school lunches are are adopting it as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a great school lunch movement um, slowly growing um, across the country. It's you know, it's so slow, but it's happening. And um, meatless Mondays is part of it, but there's also you know, increased French fresh produce, more fruits and vegetables. Um, there's an organization called Wellness in the Schools. Do you yeah. know about them? Yeah, I do. I, Bill Telepan. I yeah, know he's probably. I don't know if he's the chair or yeah. he's, 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 I always think of him with that organization. Yeah, he's, he's I been, think he was one of the founders. Yeah. And um, to get fresh food, the goal is just simply to get fresh food into schools because kids who eat better school lunches, kids who are satisfied on that level, they do better in school. You know, they just do better in school. And this is important, you know, across the board. And it's not just about getting the, the fresh fruits and vegetables. It's about training the staff in the cafeterias of how to use them. It's, it's a whole multi-pronged process. So, um, And I think Meatless Mondays, it's in that same vein. It's part of it. Yeah. It's got I, our kids healthy. Yeah, I, I agree. And I don't know if it was this article, but another one that was tied to it. But I saw Andrea Strong, food writer, who's I remember back from... Oh, Andrea, from, yeah, of course. From as long as yeah. I... Re- don't remember meeting you. I don't remember when I met Andrea, just someone always in the industry. And um, she's been involved in this in this uh, campaigning for healthy healthy lunches and, and a part of that. So um, It's such important work. Yeah, it really is. Okay, we're going to take one more break. We're going to come back. I'm going to do my solar dining experience, and we'll have the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Soraya. Here's the rundown. 
The location, 1528 Frankfurt Avenue in Fishtown, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The concept, an all-day cafe offering a taste of Beirut in Philly. The owners, Natalie Richin, Roland Cassis, Greg Root, and Chef Nick Kennedy. So why did I go? Because I was out in Philly this past weekend for the Philly Chef Conference, and this restaurant has received many accolades, including being on Eater Philly's list for restaurant of the year. So my experience, I had arrived in town on Friday in the afternoon and I went there for lunch. I had a reservation for one and they sat me at a table in the sort of in one of the side rooms in the middle of the restaurant. It's a very large space. Server was very nice. The whole staff was extremely nice. Lots of people were talking to me, asking me if I was in town for the Philly Chef Conference. So it was cool. And I had a really, really good time. So what did I get? I had the freshly baked manouche with za'atar, onion, tomato, and I added an egg. I also had hummus with slow roasted lamb and their warm pita. To drink, I had a Lebanese chai latte. It had a little flour garnish on top. It was really pretty. And for dessert, I had a little date mamoul, and I took to go a Linzer bar. My take, wonderful Lebanese fare. Everything really went perfectly together and I love eating with my hands it was you know it's something about that it was always makes it even more enjoyable the latte was delicious the little mamou I had um it was a perfect bite and later when I had my Linzer bar it was delicious too so the space the ambiance it's a vast 12,000 square foot space with modern light and an airy feel in the front, they have a market and cafe up, up front where it's a, you can grab a coffee, have some pastries, and then the dining room expands uh, through all the way to a garden in the back, and there's an open kitchen. There are seats at counters. There's lots of areas to sit. Perfect for, I'd say, dinner with friends because it's very good for sharing or lunch too, anything. And up front, I'd say, is great for solo snacking or coffee. Interesting tidbit, the restaurant is named after the grandmother of two of the owners who are siblings and raised them in Beirut. Personal fun fact, when I walked in, I ran into Chef Edward Lee and Esquire's Jeff Gordonaire. Uh, they had had a, I know something, part of the conference, a coffee uh, talk earlier. So they were dining together and then gave me a little advice on what to order. The cost of my meal was $37. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. I'd like to try dinner. I heard dinner, the menu is, is a bit different, really amazing. And their website is sorayaphilly.com. There you go. Have you have you heard of Soraya and have you been there? I have not and I have not and now I want to go and okay. it all sounds delicious. All right. There you go. It I was, love a memoul. Yeah. They, there were a few different types. I went with the date one. What I liked even... What was great as a, as a solo diner, so I skipped dessert a lot because, I don't know, I, I want a bite or two. Right. What was great about this was it was a bite or two. Right. That's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was it was just a small little sweet something to, you know, satisfy your sweet tooth. It's really hard to stop eating when you order dessert for one and you're like, I just want a bite. Like, I just can't do that. Yeah. I'm no, finish I, I love... I love sharing. Yeah. Sharing dessert's better. But yeah, you kind of feel guilty leaving <laughs> right. leaving the rest of it. Okay, so it's time for the final question. My next guest is J.J. Johnson. He is the chef and partner at Henry at Life Hotel and Nomad. He's the founder of Ingrained Hospitality Concepts, including Field Trip, which is a rice concept opening in Harlem. So, Melissa, what would you like to ask J.J.? Well, I feel like... Um I, it's kind of a big question, but I feel like, you know, he, he cooks um, African food in the diaspora, right? That's part of his whole thing. Yes. So I want to know, we know so little about African food here, and it's such a big place. How do you even get people to start thinking about Africa as a, as a place with so many languages and diverse cuisines? How do you start the conversation about what African food is? I mean, you have to break it down by country, or do you? Or do you break it down by, by region? I don't even know where to begin. So tell me, JJ, how do I begin my quest if I want to learn about it? Wonderful. That's a it's a terrific question, and I bet he has a terrific answer. I can't for wait that. to hear his answer. I really, <laughs> I really need to know because it's something I, I need to know more about. Yeah, I think we all do. I'm excited to have him on. He's he's uh, he's he's everywhere. He seems all the time. He does lots of events. He's got his restaurants. He's 
and uh, he's he's a he's a good guy. I like him. So we will find out what what JJ has to say. And that's the show. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. Thank How you fun. for coming. I'm I'm a huge fan of yours. Just all around your career, just knowing you as a as a friend in the industry, and I wish you much continued success. I I feel. No, from what you've said, more doors and things are going to open for you with your your yes personality. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Thank you, Sherry. You are the best host ever. Oh, now you made my day. Thank you, thank you. And uh, let's finish that's, the that's pizza. I know this pizza's looking right at us. <laughs> okay, so my guest today has been Melissa Clark. She is the food writer cookbook author, and staff reporter for the New York Times food section. Check out her column of Good Appetite and check out her videos as well. You can find her at nytimes.com and also at melissaclark.net on social media, at on Instagram at clarkbar, at nytcooking, and on Twitter at melissaclark and at nytfood. On social media, I'm at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR. At All Industry, my Facebook page is All in the Industry, websites BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, so you can listen to us anytime, anywhere. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda. Thanks to Roberta's for the pizza, and thanks to Melissa. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the AHRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.